Well, hello, Heritage. How we doing? We doing well? I'll tell you what, this guy enjoyed that extra hour of sleep. I don't know about you guys, but this guy is pretty fired up. I'm rested. All is good here for this guy. So I want to welcome those here at Rock Island, our family over at our Bettendorf campus in QC West. Super excited that you're with us today. And those of you joining online, welcome. Welcome. And if you're new to Heritage or if you're checking Heritage out today, let me tell you, if you don't walk out of here knowing anything else about Heritage, listen to this. We get pretty excited about life change around here. We get super excited about life change around here. In fact, we are so committed to celebrating that that every week when you walk in the building and you look up here and you see the cross is lit, that means that somebody, God has drawn somebody to himself to place their faith and their trust for the first time in Christ this week through our ministry. So as you look at this, listen, we've had two people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus Christ this week. (laughs) That's awesome. But listen, I'm a curious guy. Are any of you curious? Well, this week I thought, you know what, I want to look back over the last 12 months. You know, it's the first week of November, and so I wanted to look back to last year in November and just, just out of curiosity say, How many people has the Lord drawn to himself? Remember, God alone draws. God alone saves. We as Heritage Church, we just get to be a part of what he is doing. Now listen to this. 254 people have made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ here at Heritage Church in the last 12 months. (laughs) Praise God. Now listen, 236 people have taken that next step of obedience into baptism. Now this is what baptism is. Baptism is when we give an outward of expression of an inward faith. In other words, it's kind of like if you're on a team. When you give your life to Christ, you're on the team. But when you take that step of baptism, it's almost like saying, listen, it's not just good enough for me to be on the team. I want to put the jersey on. And by the way, coach, I want to go play the game. I want people to know that I am a follower of Christ. And so this last year, we've had 236 people who have been baptized, stood in front of a group of people and said, hey, Jesus, that guy's my Lord. That's my Lord. Now in two weeks, listen, we get to do it again. We get to do it again. So today, if you have made a decision to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, that next step of obedience is to be baptized. So on that inside cover of your, um, your worship folder, you know that new 7x7 seven seven worship folder that we have that everyone loves change, right? I encourage you <laughs> to check baptism or write baptism, circle it a whole bunch of times, whatever you do, because we want to come alongside you, not just as a staff, but as a body, as a church, and celebrate like crazy, because that is a huge huge moment. Now we know that our God doesn't just come to forgive our sins. Jesus just didn't come to die to forgive our sins. He came to transform our life. Now over the last 10 years of being in ministry, I've had the chance to hear just a ton of cool stories. Every story is powerful, but there's just been some stories along the way that have just blown my mind of what our God has done. And one of these stories is a story of a man who who grew up most of his life just trying to measure up, trying to, 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 to be liked and to be known and to be respected. And here's why. Because as a young child, he was told by a loved one that he was the black sheep of the family before he could even understand what that meant. He was the black sheep of the family. He had one of his parents look at him and say, listen, I wish I wouldn't have had a second child, which translation is I wish I didn't have you. And then his family as a child told him, listen, you're not going to measure up. You're going to be no good. You're going to be just like your dad, 50 years old, going nowhere, living with his parents, a waste of time and energy and of a body. And this guy, as you can imagine, grew up doing whatever he could to try to make people like him, try to accomplish things so that others would look at him and respect him and value him, all the while doing that, 
making sure that he kept people at arm's distance because he thought, certainly if I let them in, if I let them know me and they got to know me, then they would certainly know how much of a failure I am and how messed up I am, just like I've always been told. But now listen, this guy heard the gospel, right? The gospel, the good news that God not only loves him, right, but thought so much of him that he sent his own son, he sent himself into the world to hang on a cross, to pay the penalty for his sins, paying the price that only God could pay so that God could have relationship with him so that his sins could be forgiven, so his life could be transformed. And that guy understood that God didn't just come to forgive his sins, he came to transform his life, and not only to transform his life, but to give him, as Jesus said in John 10.10, come to give you life, and life to the full. Now here at Heritage, when we talk about that abundant life or that life to the full, we use the terminology of living fully, right? And really, there's three core pieces, and we not only believe as we look at Scripture that these are so core to who we are as followers of Christ, if we want to experience this full, abundant life, we believe that this is how God has called us as a church, as Heritage Church, to do life and to do ministry. That's why we've adopted them and said, hey, the three core values here at Heritage Church are what? They're to live loved, to live linked and to live sent very good and so last week we started a journey of just okay those are our core values but what do those mean so we started to unpack those and if you were here last week we unpacked what does it mean to live loved right now if you missed that i encourage you go to heritageqc.com tap on uh, click on the media tab and you can watch the message but let me make sure i can catch you up here today we explored that our god is love and god loves and he's called us to live loved. In other words, he's called us to live lives that are marked by selflessness, by sacrifice, by obedience, by forgiveness, by generosity. You remember that? And so we are called, because our God wants us to experience this abundant life, this life to the full, that we're called to live loved. And today, we're going to just take a glimpse of what does it mean for us to live linked? What does it mean for us to live linked? Now, there's two important things that we have to understand before we even talk about why is it important that we live linked. And the first is this that we were not created to do life alone. We were not created to do life alone. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, God kind of gives us this game plan or, or gives us a glimpse into how he intended on you and I to do life. In fact, if you haven't looked at Genesis 1 and 2 in a while, or maybe ever, I encourage you, go back. Very first pages of the Bible, easy to find. I like that right? Go back and read that, and listen, you just get a glimpse into just how incredibly majestic and powerful our God is, as he simply, with, with almost minimal effort in this massive amount of creativity, speaks into being and creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them, right? And in that passage, six times, in fact, this, this phrase reoccurs, right? And then what happens is God creates, and then he steps back, and he assesses, right? And he looks at his creation, what he created, and he said, and God saw that it was good, right? So when he creates the, you know, the, the sun, and he creates light, and he creates, you know, ducks, I don't know why that comes to mind, but ducks, right? He looks at them, and he says, that's good, quack, quack, right? Right? That's good. But listen, on the sixth day, something cool happened. God created mankind. Mankind came onto the scene. And what Ephesians 3 says is God's masterpiece, his masterpiece, the best of the best. God creates mankind and he places it in creation and then steps back and he has this, as he assesses all of creation, his assessment changes from good to very good, right? But then something really fascinating happens. It's in Genesis 2, 
verse 18. Now listen, everything up until this point has been good and then very good. And this is before Genesis 3 when, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they mess up and they've disobeyed the one simple command that God gives them and sin enters the world and there's this separation between God and man. This is before then. So in other words, it's between the moment of God saying, this is very good in sin entering mankind. And in verse 18, God says that something is not good. First time he said it, check it out. Genesis 2. Verse 18, it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be a what? Alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, we hear that scripture a lot of times in the context of marriage, right? We realize that man by himself, we know he's not good alone, right? I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> right? And so, but it, when we hear that scripture, we almost speak of that as if it represents the sacredness of the marriage relationship, which is absolutely sacred. But what I would tell you today is I don't think it just points to the reality of the sacredness of that relationship, but rather that God has created us to not be alone. It is a bigger picture reality. To get a picture of that, if you look at Genesis 1 verse 27, when God actually creates man, I think this gives us a glimpse of why. It said that God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image. Now I hear that and I go, what does that mean? right? What does that mean that God created us in his image? And when you look at the original word, Hebrew word there for image, it, it means that it's similar to but not the same, okay? So Wayne Grudem, who's a, a theologian, says it's almost like we represent God. We're, we're similar in some ways. We're created in his likeness, but we're not the same. Now to illustrate that, let me show you a picture of a few people that I desperately love. Check these out. This here is the Barnes family, all right? On the left is my bride, Jessie. We've been, quote-unquote, linked for seven years, okay? Now, I'm sure she'll be thrilled that I showed her picture, so just take note right now. The last time you saw me was right here on this stage, just in case. I'm just kidding. All right, so the little handsome man on my shoulders is, you guessed it, that's my son, Maddox. His name means generous son of God. That's what I hope my son will be. That's my prayer, that he will be a strong man of God that is generous, that's living loved, like we talked about last week. But look, as you look at him, my guess is that you see a reflection of my wife and I in him, right? He is a reflection of his daddy and his mommy. Now, you may be thinking that he looks like one of the two of us a little more than the other, physically, right? And most of you are saying, I think he looks like his daddy. Anybody think that? Yeah. In fact, listen, our doctor, the first day Maddox came into this world, she walked in, saw Maddox laying there, looked at Maddox, looked at me, and she said, won't need a paternity test on this one, right? <laughs> He looks a lot like his daddy. Now, in case you don't, you don't agree with me, check out these next pictures. On the left is my son, Maddox. You know, about three days ago, we got all the leaves piled up, and he loved to slide down in them and just giggled like crazy, okay? And on the right side is a picture of another handsome little man named Justin. That's me. That's his daddy, right? Terrible haircutter. We'd look identical, right? But you see that Maddox looks a lot like his dad. Now, you and I we're created in the image of our God. We reflect him. We're not the same as him. Let's be clear. And now I'm talking in a physical context, but we are created in the likeness of God. Now, before I move forward, I can't show you those members of my family and not include this one. So let me introduce you to this little guy or girl. This is baby Barnes number two. All right. Baby Barnes number two is, listen, 10 weeks today. All right. 10 weeks today. So now, you know, as you pray for us as a staff and for me, that by the time next May rolls around, I need to be, be able to operate on a little less sleep. So you can pray that way for me. But listen, 
My son Maddox and my son or daughter that you just saw in that picture, they're going to be a reflection of their mommy and their daddy. Now, you and I, when we are created in God's image, we are a reflection of him. We are a reflection of him. Now, you need to understand that our God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are one, but they have always known relationship. In fact, if you look at Genesis 1.26, this is the verse before God creates man. It says this, and it says, let us, everyone say us, create man in our, say our, image. Let us create man in our image. What God is saying is, listen, we need to understand that the same God that desires a relationship with you and all of mankind has always known relationship. He has always known meaningful relationship, always. And so when we look at Genesis 127, and it says that God created man in his image, in his likeness, what he is saying is that we have been created for healthy relationships with others. We have been created for healthy relationships with others. A guy by the name of Larry Krabs, he's an author and kind of a Bible teacher, he says it this way. He says that just as our lungs require air, so our soul requires what relationship provides. He goes on to say we were designed for relationship, and apart from that, we'll die. We'll die. You see, we were created for healthy relationships. Jesus kind of speaks to this in Mark chapter 12. A re religious leader comes to Jesus, kind of a teacher of the law, and he comes to Jesus and he's thinking to himself, I, maybe I can trap Jesus. What I'll do is I will go to him and I will ask him, listen, of all the law and of all the prophets, of all the Old Testament, can you tell me what is the most important commandment? Now Jesus answers him this way. Check out Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. I'm going to read 29, and then we'll pick up together in verse 30. It says this. Hear, O Israel, this is Jesus' response. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. He doesn't just answer with one, right? He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus is pressed to answer one. What's the greatest commandment? He comes back with two. And he says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then the second one is, not just one, but two, is to love others as yourself. Now Jesus is showing here that there's a direct link between our love for God and our love for other people. Our love for God and our love for other people. In fact, in Matthew 22, if you go to that, that, that's just another account of this same interaction. And you look in the message translation, it's translated as this, that it's almost like from these two pegs, right? Picture you're hanging your coat up. From these two pegs, loving God and loving others, hang all of the commandments and all of the prophets and all of the law because these are the two core things, to love God and to love other people. And Jesus is saying there's a direct relationship here. There is a direct relationship Another way to say that is what I heard a pastor say in the last week. And he said, you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. You can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. That's because of this. Living linked is essential to life change. Living linked is essential to life change. Now hear me, let me be clear. 
that it's through a relationship with Christ alone that your sins are forgiven. It's through a relationship with Christ alone that your life can be transformed and God creates in you a new creation. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's through a relationship with Christ alone. But listen, for those of us in this room today or who are watching online or one of our campuses, if you've made a decision to follow Christ, that was the starting point. But the goal is, and what we see in Scripture, is this process in which each and every day we should become more like Jesus. Each and every day that we follow him, we should become more like Jesus. Kind of the theological term for this is sanctification. Maybe you've heard that before, right? And this is where this idea of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, where relationships are so important. Let me illustrate it this way. Perhaps God's plan is most likely to grow you through somebody else. And his plan to grow somebody else is most likely through you. Listen to that. God's plan to grow you spiritually, to see life change in your life, is most likely through somebody else. And God's plan to grow somebody else, those of you, if you look around at each other, is most likely to grow them through you. Now, you and I know that in relationships, sometimes there's difficult moments, right? People hurt us. They do or they say things to us that we just think is ridiculous, and it hurts, and it pierces us. But it's through that, we, and we, through the process of learning to forgive, that we begin to get a bigger picture of God's grace and his forgiveness for us, right? It's also through other people, as we gather in places like this, that we see people that maybe have this passion for Jesus, or they're doing something that is great and is honoring the Lord, and we're saying, wow, I want to do that. And God uses that to help us grow as we take steps forward in obedience and forward to become more like Christ. Ultimately, listen, learning to love other people as God has loved us. He uses other people to teach us how to love others as he has loved us. Now, Jesus, in fact, it's this love for others that Jesus says will be the mark of a true disciple. Check this out in John 13, verse 34. It says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you so you must love one another. By all... By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Love one another. If you love one another. You see, living linked is essential for life change. Now, what's fascinating about that passage is Jesus says, listen, that we understand here outside of these walls at Heritage Church that there are over 200,000 people that don't know Jesus. There are over 200,000 people who are going about life, who are trying to figure this thing out and not realizing that they weren't created to do life alone, that they were created to be in relationship with God and with other people. And what Jesus says is when they look at us, when they look at the followers of Christ, the true disciples, what they should see that should make us different, what should set us apart, and what ultimately should lift Jesus up is how we love one another. Now listen, as a church, we believe God is strategically placed us in the Quad Cities in such a way that if we live this out, that we'll see significant transformation. In fact, if you're new to Heritage, we're one church and we have four locations, okay? One church, four campuses. We have our campus here at Rock Island, we have our campus over in Bettendorf, and we have one out in Bluegrass, Iowa, right? Which is Quad City West is what we call it, QC West. That's what we're talking about is Bluegrass, Iowa. And we have a fourth campus called Vida Nueva. Now, Vida Nueva, led by Pastor Ben and Faith Monsivice, they are a Hispanic campus that is passionate 
about reaching those 15,000 people within driving distance of here at our Rock Island location with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Sean, Pastor Sean mentioned that there's some really cool things happening here at Heritage at each one of our campuses. God is at work. We are seeing just cool things. Even this weekend, I want you to know, even before you walked in, God has been at work. It's been amazing. But there's some cool stuff happening in Vida Nueva. And I want to I show you a video here of our pastor, Ben Monsivai, sharing kind of his heart for Vida Nueva and what is going on and what makes their heart beat. Because Ben, what you'll hear and what he says and understands is that as we live loved and we live linked, out of an overflow of that, we live sent. And he wants to give you a heart and a vision into what his heartbeat is for Vida Nueva and what we feel God is leading us in the days ahead. So check this video out. Hello, Heritage family. 11 years ago, I visited this neighborhood for the very first time. I walked into the neighborhood store and felt like I was in Mexico again. As I continued my tour of the barrio, my heart sank for the lost. I knew then that God was calling faith in me to proclaim the good news to Hispanics in the Quad Cities. As a former missionary to Mexico, I felt that the mission field was right here in the Quad Cities, and I didn't have to go to Mexico to minister. Immediately, we started to work the plan of raising a church, a place where people could be ministered to in their own language and culture. Today, many of the people that are known as Vida Nueva live right here in this corridor, but there are many more. God wants us to reach them too. We're working diligently to find a way of reaching more of them. How can we accomplish such an impossible mission? As I said before, some families from this neighborhood attend Vida and are a great influence to their neighbors. But we need a stronger and larger influence. The question is, how can Vida be a greater influence in the corridor? These last few months, God has laid it in our hearts to cry out to Him for strategies. We're exploring new, different, and better ways of reaching this community. We need God to lead us and to give us his strategy in order to fulfill the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Would you join us in prayer as we step out in faith and live sent to this community? Our heart has always believed that as long as there is one person in the Quad Cities who doesn't know Christ, our job is not done. It is so exciting to know that as we live sent, we are aligning ourselves with God's ultimate will that none should perish. I've seen many lives change throughout these 11 years of ministry, and I've seen many families transformed. At the same time, I've seen some turn to drugs, gangs, or even pleasures to try to fill the void in their lives. Our job is not done. God has much more for us to accomplish. So join us in prayer as we live sent. Pretty cool stuff, right? Now, if you know Ben and you know his bride Faith, you know that was a scaled-down version of their passion, right? <laughs> you know that that was a scaled-down version. But what he mentioned, really, the heart of Vida Nueva, the heart of Heritage Church is, if there's one person outside of our walls that doesn't know Jesus, then our job's not done. Now, Ben and Faith are passionate, and their ministry team there at Vida are passionate about coming alongside others and not only introducing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, but coming alongside them and helping them learn to do relationship together and truly to love one another because they know, listen, that that's what those outside of our faith, those who are outside of these walls are looking for because they were created to do life within the context of healthy relationships, and we realize that living linked is essential
to life change. Now, how many of you have heard the term or experienced this, that you don't know what you had until it's gone? Anybody? You know, I didn't know what I had until it's gone. Now, listen, one of the best ways for us to illustrate why living linked is so important is by looking at maybe somebody in Scripture who stepped outside of living in relationship, who made a decision not to live linked in the, the, the results of that. Now, this is a story you find in the Old Testament. It's a story of a man. Now, listen, this man, it is said about in Scripture, had a, had a, was a man after God's own heart. This was a man that loved God. And in fact, he didn't just love God. God loved him. And God anoints this guy as the king of Israel. Now listen, Israel is God's chosen people out of all of the earth, out of all of the people. God says about the people of Israel that those are my chosen people, my special possession, my royal priesthood. This is God's people. And God chooses this guy and anoints him the king of Israel. Of Israel. Now, if you've been around church, maybe you know that this guy's name is David, right? Now, David is anointed king, but he doesn't become king right away. In fact, there's a guy in place who's the king named Saul. Saul dislikes David so much that he hunts after David, tries to kill him. David is on the run. He's being hunted like a dog, it says in scripture, right? David finds himself in caves, and eventually, these men who are kind of on the outskirts, kind of the, the, the you know, the, the kind of the, the outsiders join David, and they find themselves in caves on the run together as Saul and his men pursue them and try to kill them. There were multiple instances that David could have killed Saul, taken it into his own hands, killed him, and become the king of Israel, but David didn't do it, and you want to know why? Because he looked at him and said, who am I to place my hands on the Lord's anointed? You see this love for God just oozing out of David. He loves God. Even his men are like, let's get this thing done, buddy. You'll be the king. Let's get, it. Let's get on with the show. And David's like, no, I will not touch the king of Israel because of my commitment to my God. Now there's a moment David eventually becomes king. Saul is killed in a battle. David is anointed king and, is, and unifies the country. And there's just this display of God's favor and blessing that you just have to read the scripture to understand. Like God is doing the miraculous things. But then something really tragic happens. You see, one night David went to bed. David was sleeping and something woke him up, right? Maybe it was a baby cry. That's what happens in my house, right? All right, A baby cries or something happened and David woke up and he couldn't get back to sleep. So he goes upstairs on the roof of his palace and he's walking around. I don't know, to get some fresh air, to clear his mind, whatever it was. But eventually as he's walking around the roof of his palace... He looks out over the edge and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. He sees this beautiful woman bathing. So he calls out to one of his servants and he says, Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. He says, Who is that beauty that's bathing right there? And this servant looks at him and he says, Well, King David, your highness, or whatever he said, right? I don't know how that works. But that's Bathsheba. That's Bathsheba. But listen, her husband... She's married. Her husband is fighting in the war for your people. He's fighting for you. He's honoring you. He's honoring your country. She's a married woman. She's off limits. But not only is she married, king, your highness, she's married to one of your soldiers that's honoring you. Now, David does something that's tragic. And look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4 with me. This is what David does. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. This is a man after God's own heart. 
and he sends for this woman that he knows is married, that he knows is the wife of one of his soldiers, the people that love him, and he sleeps with her. Now, we see one account here. Most scholars believe that it could have happened multiple times, but that's irrelevant because at one moment, Bathsheba sends word to David that she's pregnant. And by the way, I'm pregnant with your child. It's your baby. It's a man after God's own heart commits adultery. David freaks, freaks out. Because what am I going to do? If people know that that, I mean, it would just change everything. So he devises this plan. And what he thinks is, if I send word to the front lines and I have Uriah sent home, young man, warrior's been away from his wife for who knows how long, if I send him back and I let him go home to his wife, certainly he will want to be with her or sleep with her. And then when he finds out she's pregnant, he'll think it's hers and everyone else will think it's, will think it's his rather. So what happens is David sends for Uriah. Uriah comes home. Long story short, fails miserably, right? This guy, Uriah, is so committed to the king and so committed to his men that are off at war that he says, how could I sit here and sleep with my wife while those men are out sleeping outdoors who are fighting for our country? Uriah is more committed than anything else. So David, next plan is let's get him drunk. Maybe that'll work. I mean, David is just grabbing for straws here, right? Doing whatever he can. Doesn't work. And so what happens next just is mind-boggling. So because he couldn't get Uriah to sleep with his wife, David sends Uriah, his faithful servant, his faithful warrior, his faithful soldier that is off at, he's going off to war to fight with a letter that says this. Look at verse 15. This is what it says. Put Uriah, Uriah is carrying this letter to his, to his superior, by the way. Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So now not only has David committed adultery, this is a man after God's own heart. He loves God. Not only has he committed adultery, now he has become the accomplice to murder as this very plan has worked out. He sends Uriah to the front lines. When the battle gets fierce, he backs out. Uriah is killed. David ends up marrying Bathsheba after she mourns. Certainly you understand that God's not pleased. You understand that this broke God's heart. And God does something in chapter 12, verse 1, that's really unique. I find fascinating. It says, And God sent Nathan to David. God sent Nathan to David. Now, you may ask, who is Nathan? I'd ask that question. Nathan is a prophet of the Most High God, right? And so when I see that, I go, time out. Why did God send Nathan and not one of these men that David had done life with for so long? You know the men that sat in the cave with him, that they loved David so much that they would go to battle with him at the drop of a hat? Why didn't he send one of those guys who had journeyed with David, that had seen David's love for him, his love for God, why didn't he send one of those? The guys that knew David most, the guys that could speak into his life, the guys that knew him at the inner being before he was the king. And we see why in Chapter 11, verse 1, check it out. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. What we see here is that David had sent away everyone that knew him, everyone that loved him. David had made a decision to remove himself from community because he should have been out at war when the kings go out to war. He should have been out there surrounded by his men. But David made the decision to step outside of community, to not live linked, to be isolated. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that that falls right into where Satan's plan. He wants to isolate us. 
and get us in a place where we're on our own and then begin this cycle that destroys us. And ultimately, we see that as David is isolated, that he's a danger to himself and to other people. And so as we look at this story, we realize that living linked isn't optional. It's critical. Living linked isn't optional. It's critical. Now, you may be hearing me and saying, Justin, okay, I can get on board with you. I wasn't created to do life alone. I realized I was created for healthy relationships. And wow, the picture of your little new baby is really cute, right? <laughs> and, and, and I can agree with you that life change, you know, it, living linked is essential to life change. And now I'm hearing you say that it's optional, not critical. Or it's, it's, op, it's not optional, it's critical that I live linked. And you know what? I agree with you in that. But I'm going to push back because I want you to know that I agree that it's not optional and that it's critical. But I think it's critical that I stay away from other people. It's not optional. You're absolutely right. It's critical that I avoid people because I have been hurt by the people who know me and love me the most, the ones who I have let in, the ones who know my story, that love me the most, that should be my encouragers and my builder up. They are the ones who have hurt me the most. And so no, I'll keep my arm out. I'll keep people at arm's length. I'll put on the happy face. But I'm not letting anybody in because I've been wounded. You don't understand. Now listen, I don't understand. I don't understand your story. I don't know what has happened to you. But what I can tell you is this. Is that the man I told you about at the beginning of our time together, you know the one whose grandma looked him in the eye and told him he was the black sheep of the family? The one whose mom looked him in the eye about the age of 10 and said, listen, I wish I wouldn't have had a second son. The one whose family told him as he was a teenager that you're going to amount to nothing, that you're no good, that you're going nowhere, you're going to be just like your dad. The one who grew up as a kid, as, an, as a high schooler, as an athlete, that made sure that he was good, got good grades so that others would respect him and like him and be proud of him, but all the while lived with his arms out saying, no thank you, don't come close, because if you come close, you'll realize how messed up I am and how jacked up I am, and, and I don't want you to know that I'm a failure. That guy is me. That's my story. So listen, I don't know what it's like what your story's like, but I know what mine's like. I know what it's like to grow up feeling like you're just not good enough, like you don't measure up. But I want you to know, that's why when I encountered this gospel, that God not only loved me, listen, he loved me. That was new. You know, my parents told me that they loved me, but I didn't, I, I didn't know if I always experienced it consistently. But I heard that he loved me, and he thought so much of me that he sent his son to die for my sins. And oh, trust me, I had a lot. You see how passionate I am. Think of me going the wrong direction right? God has transformed my life. And I loved God. I fell in love with him. And I, not only that, but as people saw the change in me and I started sharing the gospel, oh my goodness, he was doing amazing things. But almost like we talked about a few weeks back when we said we can't go from home to first to third to home. God, it's you and me and we're good, right? What I found is even as I was pursuing God and I was living sent, the fact that I wasn't allowing people in, there was this incredible emptiness, and I realized that living linked is required to live fully. Living linked is required to live fully. Now hear me, I had to sit down with my mom and my grandmother in college and I said, you know what, mom? I am so sorry. I wasn't a great son, I'll just be honest with you. I hurt my mom too, she'd have a story to tell. And I said, I'm sorry, but I want you to know as well that I have forgiven you for what you've, how you've hurt me. My grandma, the same story. You know, and it transformed that relationship. Up until the day my mom tragically died, roughly five years ago, we had an amazing relationship. Loved her to death. 
And I stood up there and I performed her funeral. And, and I'll tell you, I honored my mom because we had an outstanding relationship. Grandma, same thing. A year ago, she passed away. God can transform. But for some of us, the first step is we have to forgive, right? We have to forgive. Now, listen, one myth about forgiveness. It's not a one-time action. Each and every day, you have the decision to pick that up. I remember things that have happened to me, and I have to decide over and over and over to forgive. It's not easy. It's an ongoing process. But listen, listen, we have to take that step to live fully because living linked, allowing other people in, is required to live fully. It's required. It's not optional. It's critical. It's required to live fully. So now you go, okay, Justin, I hear it. I'm created for healthy relationships, and, and I acknowledge that there's some change that I want to see in my life, and that living linked is required for life change, and it's not optional. You know, it's critical, and it's required. And so what? Tell me how I do that. And the first way is this. I want you to answer the question of who knows you? Who knows you? Not who knows your name or who knows what you do for a living. Not, not who knows where you sit at church or if you're a Packers fan or a Bears fan. I'm not starting fights here, okay? You know, not that. But who really knows you? Who knows the areas that you're struggling? Who knows the way that you're crying out to God and asking him to do something in your life? Who knows What's going on in your world? You know why I, I ask you to ask that? Because I think if David would have been surrounded by the men that knew him, rather than servants that were paid or, you know, if they spoke against him, they could have been killed, I think David may have made a different decision. But for us, we have to ask that question of who knows you? And if you, today you're saying, listen, I don't really have people that know me, that know my fears, that know what I'm working through, that know what I'm crying out for God to do. That today is your first step, is first this, to ask that question and then to realize, is there somebody that has hurt you, that is preventing you from letting others in? And your first step today is you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. And for some of us, it's just crying out to God, like, God, I don't know how I can do this, but I trust that you have asked me to do this, so you're going to give me the ability to do it. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're going to forget what happened. I haven't forgot what happened, clearly. I just orchestrated and told you all about it, right? But you have to be able to, the next step for you is to forgive what you can't forget. Forgive what you can't forget. I cry out consistently, God help wipe these things from my mind, and I, I haven't experienced that. But I'll tell you, when they come up, I forgive them. I forgive my mom again. I forgive my grandma again. I forgive the people along the way who have hurt me. Because you have to forgive what you, gotta, what you can't forget. And finally, step into community. Step into community. You know, as a church, we believe that, man, God is entrusting people to us. 254 people in the last year have made first-time decisions for Christ, and all of our campuses are growing. We're seeing incredible things. But we truly believe that when it comes to life change, that circles are better than rows. Let me explain. When you come to church today at any one of our campuses, you are sitting in rows that are facing forward. When we sing and we worship, hands are in the air. But listen, it's when we get in a circle together that we start to be known that we start to get to know people and get to know their stories and we start to live in relationship, to live linked. Now we have a few opportunities. The first one is journey groups. 
journey groups are an opportunity for you to connect. Now, we have a number of journey groups going on. We have some that are message-based, that are kind of you come on the weekend, you listen to the message, and then there's discussion around that. And when you go back into homes, which is a great place because there's food there normally, right? And, and so you go back and you're able to discuss the message of what is interesting to you or what did you think when Justin said that or Pastor Sean said that? And you get to start to work those things out, to wrestle those things out. And I'll tell you, we have some outstanding journey group leaders. I have been amazed in my six months here to see and meet the people that God is using in those capacities. And I am, I am believing today that we have roughly 1,000 people in, in journey groups today. But we average 3,000 people on a weekend. So there are a number of people who are not connecting in that way. And I believe that God is raising up new leaders. Some of you who are even listening to me now. Some of you who are in groups. And he is calling you out to lead. And I'm just asking you to step in obedience. For some of you, it's to lead. For others, it's to step in the community. Some of our journey groups we call support groups. These are coming alongside people in seasons of life. Maybe you're, you're mourning the loss of a loved one. We have like a grief share group. Maybe you're, you're going through a divorce and it's an incredibly difficult time or you have an addiction to some, some type of substance, alcohol, other recreational drugs, prescription drugs. Maybe it's a sexual addiction. We have groups for men and for women. I mean, we have groups because we want people to have a place to connect to live linked and to journey together. Now, a second way for you to do that is through our Discover classes. We, we call these Discover Heritage. Maybe you've heard of this. This is kind of an environment to come kick the tires of heritage. Maybe you're new. You want to know, what are you guys all about? Mission, vision, meet some staff, tour facilities, right? Great place for you to do that. Discover Faith is four-week journey of people who are wrestling with the faith. Maybe you have questions or you're new to the faith or you're, you're on the verge of going, okay, maybe I'll take that step. I encourage you to check that out. Discover Faith, looking at what is the gospel? What is worship? What is prayer? What is the Bible? We have Discover Serving, which is just checking out an environment, four weeks, of how God has wired you. We've all been wired and called and created for a purpose. What is that for you? All of us are unique. We have Discover Membership, Discover Baptism. But listen, you learn a lot of good stuff, but the key piece of that is you get to know people. You get to know people. You get to be in relationship. You're in circles together. And finally, the last way that you can, one another way, there's multiple ways, is to join a ministry team. You know, some of you love to sing, and you're good at it, right? And we want you to join our worship team. Some of you are techies, you know, tech, tech guys or girls, for that matter, right? And some of you enjoy children and students, and others of you are saying, everything you just listed just makes me gag, okay? <laughs> I get it. But maybe you're a friendly face that can stand at the door, and you're the first face that somebody sees as they come in, right? We have all kinds of opportunities. But listen, as you serve together, there's something special about giving yourself away. But guess what? You start to meet people. You start to develop relationships. You start taking steps into community that live to living linked, that can lead to life change, that can, that can lead to you experiencing this full, abundant life that Christ came to give us. And so today, as we, as we close, there's a couple lines underneath this last question. And the question is simply this, is what's your next step to live linked fully? What's your next step? And I want you to just take a moment as I prepare to pray for us to just write down on those lines, what is it that God is asking you to do today? His word does not return null and void. I promise you that in some way he is pulling at your heart. For some of you, that next step or that first step is to flip to the back of the worship guide and to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray today's the day that you do that. Make sure you check the card because, I mean, we want to call and celebrate like craziness, right? As our senior pastor says, that's super cool. It's super cool, right? So we want to celebrate. But what is your next step? And I ask you on that line, and even as I pray for you, be obedient. Walk that out today. So I believe as we live loved, 
and we live linked, out of an overflow of that, we better get our seatbelt on because our God is going to do some pretty cool stuff as we live sent. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And God, I celebrate today that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, and thank you for doing whatever it took to draw us to yourself. Thank you for loving us and desiring a relationship with so much that you sent yourself to die for us. And God, my prayer today is that we would be a people that live loved and lived linked, and out of an overflow of that, flow of that God, that we would live sent. So God, I pray that you just, what we wrote on that paper today, that next step, May we be faithful to walk that out with your help and your strength and your power. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. God bless you.